0: Um, it is, uh, the title of the message is Christian Marriage, because that is the, that's where Paul comes at this letter uh, specifically from, but there's so much that I, I need to say on the front end, because the definitions, the, the culture around us has perverted so many things, not just this topic, but so many things. Um, money in general is abused likely more than anything sex is abused right there, probably number two. There are so many things in this culture that when you go, well, what does the culture outside of this building think? Or what, what would they have me do? Or how would they have me live? It's, it's literally the opposite on all levels of this letter to the Corinthian church, who found themselves in a culture very similar to the culture that you and I find ourselves living in. And so I want to start off with a quote from Steve Forbes. Um, No, I I was looking this up. I am going to actually start off with a quote. But what's crazy is that Forbes magazine isn't typically where you'll find divorce stats. Um, If you know that magazine, you know that it it talks about who's wealth, you know, who's a top 40 wealth person. And and, uh, there's literally a Forbes in almost every language, major language. But according to, as we start off with principles of Christian marriage in 1 Corinthians 7... The Forbes article on it said, couples report many different reasons for ending a marital relationship. However, these are the most common explanations cited by divorcing couples. Um, The the number one and number two are lack of commitment, commitment to the marriage, and then 60% of divorced couples cited infidelity, infidelity as the reason for their divorce. And I'm not going to read the whole thing cuz it's a long it's a long quote, but I'm going to start off by saying that and I'm also going to start off by talking about a little of the culture, the issues they were having in this church. This church was messed up on a lot of levels and the church wrote a letter to Paul. Paul had been their founder and pastor for 18 months. Wrote this from Ephesus where he went and they had written him a letter and said, hey, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. We know about the stuff you wrote about early on in this book, but there's people in marriages that are are doing crazy stuff. And we're not going to, you know, just, just to be gratuitous and to say uh, lots of disgusting things, that's not part of this message. Um, although we can list a lot of things, and the Bible does list a lot of stuff, but they wrote him a letter and said, hey, what about this? And so his first rebuttal to this specific question in verse 1 of chapter 7, Paul says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, there's a lot in that, and I want to also back up some of this with commentary, because once again, when the, when I will say that the church in general, my whole life, since the early 80s of me remembering church, Really, never touched on this. Um, when you would listen to a Sunday sermon, it, it, if they even, it's one of the reasons people choose to teach topically because they can jump away from topics. It's not good because then people are, are going, what about what about that? How come you never talk about that? How can you always talk about money and how come coming always talk about uh, principles of Christian living and seven steps to this and that and the Holy Spirit and things that like what about like on the ground theology. Talk to me about that. And so, once again, the context, Paul is, he is, this is a QA. and a okay? He is up on a panel in a sense. We would have him on FaceTime right now these days, and he'd be like, okay, concerning question number one, this is what God has told me. I'm an apostle. God spoke to Paul. Paul was, was clearly a teacher, and so you understand that he's answering questions they asked him about And when Paul talks about touching a woman, most commentators believe he's just talking about sex. He's talking about sexual intercourse. So he's saying it's a good thing if a guy can stay away from this. A man in general can stay away from this. That is a positive thing. It is not negative. But some in the church argued that married people should not even have sex. That's why he's writing this, and we'll get into that. Um, it, there's there's so much in this. I'm glad we have a little bit more time, a few more minutes today, because we're only going to get through verse nine. I thought we were going to get through verse sixteen, but that's not going to happen. Um, so some in the church argued this, um, but sometimes sexual immorality in some cultures. Now there's also cultures like Amish culture. Uh, you know, if you if you lived in the Pennsylvania Dutch area there's not like the onslaught of porn that you basically see when you open up your phone and you search for something on YouTube and on the right hand side are ads and you're like I was just looking for auto parts and there's a woman it's like well what do you think you know they they figured out the demographic of guys that fix their cars like to look at that stuff they they don't not they don't put it there because it's never happened before no mechanic has ever desired to look at a woman on a poster in the back I worked at an auto shop when I was 16, and it was like, oh, wow, okay. There are 40 year, five 40-year-old men, and it was just they all had their own calendar. It's, there's statistics in this. There's AI in this. There's all this stuff. But sometimes it's so rampant that sex in general gets, gets painted as all bad. All bad. How could that possibly be? Well, because the culture has wrecked it so bad in America for the past 50 or 60 years. That, that some, the churches are like, this should be a place where no one ever talks about it. That's how they feel. That's how some churches act. It's not good. Because what about people who have legit questions? They should never be made to feel like, if I have a question about it, I must be dirty. Wrong. Never. Who made it up? Who put the desire in humanity? God Almighty did. Genesis chapter 2. Be fruitful and multiply. How do you do that? By looking at Eve? No. God made it a thing. Now, if he made it a desire that was on par with going to the DMV, they would have been the last people. Okay, Adam and Eve would have been it. That's, that's humanity. He made it strong for a reason, because he wanted humanity to populate the earth. That was a command he gave. But most people misuse it. That's the problem. It's misused. It's like a drug. We have people that go in for rehab for alcohol and meth and fentanyl and sex. Sex addiction places are very, 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 there's a lot more of them now um, than there were 30, 40 years back. But people have misused it since the beginning, and Paul is saying it's not a bad thing if a guy can make it through life and and avoid this, if he can be single celibate. However, verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. Because most people can't handle life by themselves. Um, There's even even a verse that talks about it's not good for God to be alone. The majority, however, were in a sexual relationship with their spouses, but for a person to try to maintain a celibate lifestyle, Paul was single at this time. Most people believe that he was married and that his wife either left him or had passed, that she left him when he became a Christian, or that she had died. That's what, I mean, every commentary I've ever read, hey, what about Paul? You know, he was married, right? Uh, Likely, because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, but at this point in time, he's saying, I mean, he's older now. Um, It's kind of one of those things that you would say in a perfect world, people wouldn't be affected by this plague of immorality. In a perfect world, they wouldn't be, but this is far from that. Because people were made with this desire, with this desire, it's good for them to be married. Um, I want to talk about this this word "porneia," because this word "porneia" is is a Greek word, and it gets translated. Uh, it's in both testaments. What what translates to this Greek word? It's in Old and New. Um, there are people who very much disagree on if you say, "Oh, it only means porn." That's all it means is looking at um, a, an image of somebody who's not your spouse. That's what it means. It can mean that. Um, and I I looked this. I, I looked at a lot, trying to find a lot of good counsel on this word, um, but the I think it's the website, uh, Never Thirsty. Um, they're, they're, they had a long deal on it, but they said, every sexual sin is repugnant to God. The Greek word porneia is a sin that includes a wide range of illicit sexual intercourse or sexual activity. The word can refer to prostitution, sexual intercourse outside of marriage, Pedophilia, promiscuity, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, premarital sex, and bestiality—that's a long list. That's a wide range. What we're talking about in this case um, is just sexual immorality in general. People having relationships outside of their own Christian marriages—that's what we're talking about in this um, in this verse. So he's saying, hey, because of porneia, because of immorality, it's good to be married. The stats on porn, as of right now, are 15 to 100 billion dollars a year. That's a lot of dough. Covenant Eyes claims that between 60 and 85 percent of Christian men have or do actively struggle with pornography. That's a huge number for the church. Once again, does anybody talk about it? Does anybody is are people willing to take that issue on? Most churches are like, that's ugly and sick. Well, if it never gets talked about, then what happens? it just keeps going and going and going everybody acts like it never affects them and the 65 minutes on sunday morning are like a little vitamin and people are like we got to just get through it but i'm struggling 85%. 60 to 85%. i've heard the statistic is higher. that's probably a conservative one. so once again the word is debated as to where it falls in terms of oh does it always mean this? no. when it's written in the scriptures it's oh, you have to take the context of the verse. There are other words where you're like, every time you see this verse, it'll, it usually means this. But in this case, that's what we're talking about. He says in verse three, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Affection is not necessarily just sex. Affection in general. My wife uh, was playing this comedian, this, um, I forget the girl's name. She's a Christian now, but she used to be on Mad TV. Um, and she's talking about like, um, I mean, it was a two minute, like, it was very, very, very funny. And she's like, um, I like to cuddle and my husband doesn't like to cuddle. And I ask him for just can I just have two minutes of cuddle time. And he's like, okay, two minutes. And then he's like, Siri, set a timer for two minutes. So we're, we're not talking about, it's not talking about sex. It's talking about affection and sex. But if somebody is, is just wanting, hey, I just want a hug and I don't want it to lead to something else. I just want you to listen to me or whatever it is. that is part of service. That's part of what he gets into in the next verse. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I can just hear myself getting canceled on the World Wide Web right now by reading that verse out loud in front of people. I can just hear it happening right now. Me and Jason Aldean, right? Um, but yeah, we're, we're like the same. Um, Try that in a small town. Um, So, all I'm saying at this point is, this this idea of Christian marriage has an idea of selflessness. Okay, it has the idea of I am gonna get married, therefore my life's not my own. Therefore, I don't just do whatever I want. I don't like like it's sort of like a Christian gets married and they're like, well, now I get to have sex and just live the way I was when I was a bachelor. No. Clearly not. That's not what he's saying. It's extremely important to hear verse 3 and 4 with a humble heart. Paul has to correct so much bad teaching, bad theology, the idea uh, that was pervasive in the culture, um, that, that everything is so messed up that you have people in the church cheating on their spouses and people in the church going, because sex is so bad, it's like fentanyl, we can't touch it so or else we'll die so we let's just live a celibate lifestyle while we're married and the other it's it's one or the other person that doesn't want that that never signed up for that and it causes issues that's what he's talking about the idea is when we marry but we don't look at ourselves as me like like this marriage is for me to be the king or for me to be the queen you know you have you have a lot of imbalance in the world you have a lot of imbalance in, in marriages. You have a lot of imbalance in relationships in our culture. Our culture is very, very, very imbalanced. But this idea of authority freaks the world out. This idea of of anything that where God would say something and it would it would correct culture, people go, oh man, that is so 1950s. Really? Because I'm pretty sure 1950s was not the first time in the world or the last time in the world that that type of mentality happened. And right now, this is nothing new. Now, the phones might be new and the screens and the Internet might be new, but the same stuff was going on in Corinth. The same stuff was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. The same stuff was going on when Adam's kids, one of them killed the other one because he was angry and jealous. Sin has been woven into the human heart. And so we get miffed, and we get hurt, and we get, well, that hurt me. And you said something to me the other day, and I didn't like to hear that. So I'm going to be whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out. I'm going to be, um, I'm just going to be like, I'm not going to even talk to you. We see this a ton in our culture. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Once again, I love uh, David Lowry on this. Um, David Lowry was a commentator from uh, Dallas uh, Seminary. He's recently retired, but wrote like d- just a ton on this book, and I love what he says about this um, because I think it's so relevant, and he wrote this. I mean, this is like probably a 40-year-old commentary. He said, some in Corinth, were trying to practice celibacy within marriage. Apparently, this refraining from sex within marriage was a unilateral decision of one partner, not mutually agreed on. Um, Such a practice sometimes led to immorality on the part of the other mate. Uh, Paul commanded that they stop this sort of thing unless three conditions were met. The the uh, abstention from sexual intercourse was to be a matter of mutual consent on the part of both, number one. Number two, they were agreed beforehand on a time period to when this would stop, number two. Number three, this refraining was to enable them to devote themselves to prayer in a concentrated way like fasting does. You have this drive, like eating is, is on par with sex, I would say, in the human heart. People don't forget to eat for the most part. There's always outliers. There's always people who are like, oh, no, I, I really hate eating and stuff. I don't know. It ain't me. Um, I could eat all day long. Put a Texas roll in front of me, a plate of them every hour. But, you know, Pillsbury Doughboy comes to mind. Um, love those things. So those three things is what he's saying. When you fast and you are like, man, I, I, I'm so hungry, it's like it's like hurting me. The idea then is that you take that hurt, or you take that, that, that urge to the Lord. And so, now, I will tell you that I have not heard of a lot of people doing this. I have not heard of, like, we right now are living in an abstinent relationship, though married, so that we can fast and pray. Now, obviously, you're not supposed to tell people when you're fasting. You're not supposed to like, uh, like Jesus talked about, the people who would do this, like they looked like they hadn't eaten in five years. And they're like, look at us, we're fasting for God. Okay, I mean, the Pharisees did all sorts of stuff like that. But those are the three reasons why a couple would do this if they agreed as a couple. He says in verse 6, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Once again, when you do a Q&A, I've seen pastors up on stage um, and some of these guys are really famous pastors, and their their churches are huge, and everybody knows them. They've written thirty books, and I've se- I've seen them say some stuff, and I was like, I mean, one time I was on staff at another church. We had a very famous pastor. If you listen to any radio or have in the past ten years, you know who this person is. And he said something. I was like, wow, that was like kind of coarse. That was it was it was a little sexual, and I was like, there's men and women in the room. He shouldn't have said it, and so we deleted it from the from the Q&A because we're like that didn't add to it and I don't even know that he would want that if he looked back on it. It just showed that he was human. Just showed that he it wasn't like beyond dirty, but it was like, wow, I can't believe that guy said that of all people. But this idea that that pastors a QA and a or a question and answer show or a pastor's perspective or you call up some pastor answering questions, the idea that the 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 answers are perfect is is crazy. Unless the only answer they read you is a per, an in-context-only scripture, and then they're like, that's it, I don't say anything else. Okay, maybe then the, the, the person answering the questions is pretty flawless, because they're just giving you the counsel of the Lord and telling you where to find it. But Paul's saying, hey, this is just, this is just an idea, this is just a concession. If, if you guys do this, then do it unto the Lord, but do it together. Do it as a team, as marriage, as a team. Uh, Verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What he's talking about is the gift. And there was a, I made this uh, joke. Um, We heard a sermon years ago, uh, me and my family, on the gift of singleness, um, and it was funny because of how the person, he was, this, this guy that was speaking was kind of almost making a little bit of light of it. And I was too young to know, like, it's not a joke. Like, Paul is saying right now, I am single and God's enabling me to do more ministry and to cruise at a much higher speed than if I was married. Because when you're married, you have a responsibility to your spouse. So this guy was talking about it. And I think I had a girlfriend at the time. It was just like puppy love, high school girlfriend, but one of my brothers didn't, and I won't call out which one it is. But I go, well, it's possible that you just have the gift of singleness. And it was like, I mean, it was hilarious. Like, honestly, it was was done. Like, my timing was perfect, trust me. Um, It was hilarious. But um, he didn't take it that way, and I'm shocked. But sometimes I'm a little sarcastic. But he's saying, this is a true, true enablement. Like, make no mistake. If you have been given that gift from God, you will know. Because this world and all of its perversion won't get its hands into you. It won't won't claw into you because you'll have that ability from God. He says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But... If they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is easier to marry than to burn with passion. A lot of you guys have heard that verse before, but it's true. And Paul is being practical. He's giving practical advice. He's not. This isn't just pie in the sky or some theological concept like the Trinity that you know you can't really preach on. Like you can you can give the the idea of the Trinity, but you can't tell people how it works because you are not God. God, how in the world you and I can explain? like the inner workings of the Trinity. We just know God said, hey, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these are the Godhead, three in one. Okay, I believe it. I don't understand it. There's a lot I don't understand. I don't understand physics. I don't understand the weather patterns. I don't understand how you hang stars and talk to them and say, go 18 billion light years away and stand there and shine so people can see you. And when God speaks, they react. I don't understand it. I don't have to. I see it. I see the moon, how it affects us how it affects water, it blows me away. God is amazing. I, I, I watch animal stuff all the time because I'm so fascinated by animals, and my, one of my daughters is super into, she knows, like, stats on animals, and she's like, do you know that a gorilla can lift, like, 600 pounds? I'm like, I'd like to think that I could take a gorilla because I'm taller than them. And then I started watching some videos on gorillas. They literally can, like, throw cars. And it's like, you look at their arms, and their arms are, like, the size of our torsos it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Because I haven't seen a gorilla, I haven't seen a video of a gorilla in forever, but, like, all the way down to my buddy just got back from Africa, and he took these pictures of these little monkeys that are, like, this big. Just got back from a mission trip in Kenya. I was like, that's unbelievable. Like, there's so many of these. Like, how does God manage this, and why would God make, make Chuck Wallace that scare me every morning at the church? They jump out when I walk out to the coffee shop, and I'm like, anything that looks like a lizard, that looks like a crocodile, I'm afraid of it. Because I'm not from here, and I'm not they're not supposed to look like that with the spiny things and the horny toads. It's terrifying. I don't want to touch those things. I don't like them, but I understand they eat flies, and God bless them. Somewhere, though, in this text, it speaks to all people. You may not be married. You may not want to be married. You may never get married. You may be single. You may have that gift to be able to be a single person, have that relationship with God, and I believe there's a gift there. I believe there's something special there. I believe that it is truly, uh, it's something that I will never know as a married person. I will never know that type of communion that people that I know that have this, that are mature Christians, enjoy. Um, I have a friend who's a missionary in England, and uh, she used to be the bookstore manager of Calvary. She used to manage Calvary Distribution, which is where we used to buy all of our books. Um, And she's an amazing missionary. And I get so much out of, um, I used to read her Facebook she used to have these, like, little postings and devotionals, and she'd go, she'd go every morning in England. She's a big coffee person. She'd go to some coffee shop, and just, like, she's electric. Like, she's like, I was sitting there reading my Bible, and this person came over to me. And, I mean, if you know England, England's, like, pretty against, like, evangelism. Like, it's like 1% to 2% Christian from what I've been told. Um, the stats are, you know, somebody who says they're Protestant or says they're Catholic versus a Bible-believing Christian is different but she used to I'm like man how do you do how do you talk to this many people well 40 years old and single and her relationship with Jesus is beautiful it's amazing she does creation fest over there they minister to hundreds and thousands of people and through the year she has this gift it's it's unbelievable but to the married to the unmarried they have roles they have responsibilities We have to put ourselves underneath what God says. And what God says is that any sexual immorality, anything, if sexual intercourse or anything sexual occurs outside of sex between a man and a woman, that is pornea. That is a perversion of what God made. He made it a certain way, and we, the world, have taken it to a, completely crazy level, to, a, to an out-of-control thing. It's everywhere. Everywhere you go, you see what they call sex sells in advertising. You see it everywhere. And so if that trips you up, and everywhere you look, and you're a young single man, and you're 22 years old or whatever, and that trips you up, and you're like, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to live in this life. It's likely you don't have the gift of singleness. Likely. But deal with that with God. Because it is something that you need to um, deal with with God. A lot of people I know, they, they've prayed for years God, bring me a spouse. Bring me, I'm lonely. Bring me somebody. That's between you and God. I can't, I can't tell you if or when it's going to happen. As a pastor, I've had people ask me that. When will I meet somebody? Everybody's such a freak out there. Well, you're on weird dating websites. What do you think those exist for? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know a lot of good people that met on eHarmony, but that's probably the exception to the rule. There's a lot of stories that have come my way as a pastor, and just because the girl goes, I'm Christian, hmm, probably find out first before you get into you know, a serious engagement process with somebody like that, um, because you need to know. You need to know. You need to be serious about where that person is with Jesus because it affects you in a way that you cannot imagine. If you get married and you're unequally yoked, but you both say you're Christians, that's a huge problem. Because one's going to be like, I don't really, like I think we should go to church once in a while, but this whole like Jesus freak thing, like forget it. Mm, I'm not going to make a judgment on that person, but I'm going to say not on the same level. And so you need to bail, seriously. Or you need to wait until that person makes a real profession and goes, hey, you and me and God, that's where we're at because it will throw your marriage like no other, if you're not. There is no doubt that the single person that God enables to be single can do a, so much more ministry and so much more. There's a freedom there. There's a, hey, you don't have, like me, six other mouths to feed. You don't. And so you can do a lot. And if God gives you that ability, it, it's amazing. And I've known many people, and it truly is like a gift. There's no doubt. And, and, Paul, and there's other translations that actually say that, the that actual thing. They say that it's a gift. There is a gift of singleness. And Paul is saying, I have it right now, even though he was married. So it's interesting. There are people who were married and they are no longer married and they have that gift to stay single. There are people who definitely need to be married and there are people who are definitely designed from day one to be single. How God does it? I don't know. I want to wrap it up um, by talking about just the times that we're living in I, I get a lot of phone calls I got another one last night people terrified of this world terrified of what's going on out there terrified politically terrified economically ter- you name it they're just afraid and they feel the church is on a bad bad footer and they feel that people aren't serious anymore and uh, coming out of COVID, specifically, that always comes up. I feel like since COVID, this and this and this. Well, COVID definitely has made it to where people are like, I don't really need a church. If I need to watch church, I'll just watch it on Sunday morning. And obviously, that's different than being in a room with people and singing in a room and fellowshipping with somebody. You can't shake hands virtually. I know that people say you can, but you can't. The The times are getting worse. They're going to get worse. Jesus said this. And to be honest with you, COVID was, I told this lady last night that called me, I said COVID has, was a million things. It wasn't just one or two things. It was a million things. But one thing that it did is it shook people to a way where you can you can look at the words of Christ and you can go, oh, now I see what Jesus was saying about how people will be. Now I see perilous times. Perilous times in, in Timothy was a thing, has been a thing for a while, but it has ramped up big time in the last three years. Like where, if you read the Perilous Times passage, I think it's first Second Timothy 2, um, check it out, Google it, read it. It's amazing. It's right on par with where our culture is. But the times are going to get worse. The sexual uh, immorality in the culture, somehow, guys, will get worse than it is right now. One of my kids was invited to... Uh, to watch a movie with a neighbor and my wife and I looked up the movie because we couldn't figure out what from the title as to why it was PG-13 and PG-13 today means different than it did in the 80s Um, and when we looked up the content we were shocked and we made a decision hey this isn't something we want you to see I'm not sure once again why this movie has this content in it but then again I think about the world that we live in and I said Um, this kid of mine said, um, why would they put that in there? And I said, because they want kids to be corrupted as early as possible. So you take something with a name and you go, hey, here's the movie. And the movie's got disgusting stuff in it that it didn't in the 80s and the 90s. That's what they want. They want kids sexualized. They want to use sex as a weapon to get kids into the the just jacked upness that is our culture as early as possible. That's what their angle is. There's no other angle but that. And they were kinda like, Man, that's horrible and that kinda ruins the fun. And look, there's very few movies that I would even go see nowadays. I mean I used to go to movies all the time. I can't remember the last time, maybe last two times I've been in a movie in like a year has been a while. But I wanna I wanna read as we close A verse from James. James says that pure and lasting religion, and I don't use the word religion like we hear the word religion today, your pure faith in Christ in the sight of God means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. That's the NLT, I believe. What does that mean? Orphans, widows. It means that who's, what is the type of person that cares for other people that they're not related to? What is the type of person that would, that would go and feed the least of these? What is the type of person that will go and, and make an impact in people who can't pay them back? Jesus was huge about that. Don't just invite people over to your house that can pay you back. It's like politicians in Washington. Hey, come over to my house and We'll have tomahawk sticks that cost 150 bucks, and then you're going to be invited back to their house. Trust me, because that's how Washington works. It's a, it's a quid pro quo town. So what about inviting the person that has no money to your house to have a $100 tomahawk stick? That's the idea. Like, well, why would, we have, why would we fellowship with them? They're not. They're not on the high level of society. That's the point, because that's what the world does. What a Christian is supposed to do is the opposite. In all things, sex is just one of them. With money, with everything, with discipline, with work. James is saying, your real faith, no matter what, as it pertains to how God views you, is the heart of a person who would care for orphans, widows, and their trouble, and not let the world get their claws in you. Not subscribe to what they say not believe what they believe, not go along with what they're going along with this month, because it'll change next, trust me. It'll get worse. It'll get weirder. The only way that that can happen, there's only one way that that can happen in a culture this messed up, is for us to stay close to Christ, who is the picture of purity on all levels. It's the only way we can get help and hope in this world. Amen? Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. And God, these are not mine. Um, these are the words that, that you asked Paul to write to a church. And uh, God, it's applicable to all churches, especially in our day. God, we, we pray that we would be more pure. We pray that we would be people who um, don't let the world corrupt us, that say no a lot more than we used to maybe. And we stay away from all these corrupting forces, these, these things that are going to get into our mind. Um, the, The garbage that goes in affects us, Lord, that's out there. God, help us to keep our eyes pure. God, help us not to look at things we shouldn't be looking at. God, help us to keep our eyes trained on you. God, we know that time and life is short, and we will see you very soon. In Jesus' name, amen.